Super Bowl Sunday night. I think I was purposely put in this place so I'd be the most hated pastor in the whole world. And I'm sorry to say that I don't have the gift of short preaching like Pastor Todd does. I tend to be a little longer, so uh, we will get out sometime. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, we were talking about last week, the message was on finding our place in the church. And uh, we talked a lot about that in in various passages of Scripture. Uh, We're all different. Uh, We are made the way God intends us to be made. We're given the gifts that God intends us to use. And if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you'll find out that that's how God holds us accountable for the gifts that he's given to us and the opportunities he's given to us. Uh, I expected this morning we came into church, it'd be 45 people in the choir. That didn't happen, but maybe it'll happen next week as some of you uh, come up and sing uh, in the choir with everybody. But uh, the point is, and look, look again at, at, chat, at verse 11. I want to start back where we started last week. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Uh, God intends, that's the way God intends the church to be built. As the members come together, as we develop our gifts, as we listen to our pastor, as we learn and grow ourselves, the church tends to grow and edify itself. It, there, it develops naturally. It's like fertilizing a bush. It just grows, you know, if you do it that way. That's God's way to do it. And God has equipped us, each one, with a place. If, in fact, this verse is true, and I know you believe it is, then everybody has a place. And the question is, as I asked last week, what is your place? Do you have a place? Uh, Are you looking for a place? Would you take a place if you could find a place? And so tonight, we're going to back up and take the verses that come before it to show us what the process is to prepare us to do what God has called us to do. The fact of the matter is, there, there was a term that I remember as a college student, maybe high school, I'm not sure. But it was a term that says, put a lot of tools in your toolbox. In other words, the more things you know how to do, uh, the more useful you are. And so if if, uh, you are where you are, first of all, let me say this. No matter where you are today, you ought to be looking for a place to serve. And let me say one more thing about that. The real joy of the Christian life is serving. Say amen. Amen. That is really where you enjoy being a Christian, serving, doing God's work, seeing, seeing things happen because of your con- contribution to it. And uh, last week I read a copious list of all the things, and of course that's just a small part of what goes on around here every week. But I wanted you to get a grasp of the fact that all of us have a place to fill, a part to fill, and to the degree that we do, to that degree, Berean Baptist Church will prosper. So we are responsible. The church is not the pastor's to build. It is God's to build using God's people as God's people respond to the truth of the word of God. We talked last week, and this is an important concept. If I can find my notes here. Here they are. I know they're on here somewhere. We, we have different abilities. We have different ministries. We have different motivations. And we have different manifestations. 
Uh, all the things that we can do are different based on who we are and what we have, what our, what our gifts are, what, how we have developed our gifts. One of the things that is important is that whatever gifts we have, we use them and develop them to a higher extent. And so tonight I want to go from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse number 12, and work through this passage so to see the, how this process of development works. I mean, this is not an accident. It comes together. The ending was verse 16. Now let's go back to verse 12. Here's what it says. Uh, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Why did he give those people to the church? These are gifts to the church. He said, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, the pastor, these people who are given here, these teachers who teach the classes every week, they are gifts to the church to build up the church, to build up the believers of the church so that you and I can do the work of the ministry. That's get the, get the picture here to um, the edifying of the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So God is not only put us here together as a, as a body, but God has used us together as a body to accomplish his purpose. Now, I, I postulated this last week. Suppose one-third of the people who are, who are members of the church don't do their part. Well, then according to this verse, verse 16, that the church will lack that one-third of the gifts. The things that should be happening aren't going to happen because those people aren't doing their part. And so it is incumbent on us to think about, first of all, to evaluate where we are, to evaluate ourselves, and to try to find out ways we can grow and we can develop and we can learn and we can be more useful to use what God has for us. Now, let me say this. Don't wait until you're, you know, 45 and have gone to seminary to, to serve. Uh, it means that we're, we all can serve today. Whatever, wherever you are in the state of wherever you are spiritually, uh, you can serve. But our desire should be, and I want you to see this. Look, if you would, at verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, mature man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the leaders that we have here, the pastor, the assistant pastors, the deacons, the teachers, we are to pay attention to them. We are to follow them. They are the ones that God sends here to help us find our way. Pastor Todd, being the senior pastor, uh, designs the direction and the, the programs that, that happen here. And you need to be willing to follow his leadership and say, okay, I'll do my part, whatever that part is. And you're good about that. I know that. I, I see it when it happens. I know that people are doing things around the ministry here. You're responding to ministries. We had the Christmas ministry outside, the fall ministry, those kind of things. And you always respond. But the fact is we all need to respond and, and find our part and follow our pastor and follow our, our assistant pastor's lead. And when they say, I have a need for this or I need somebody to help me with this, people ought to be lined up to do it because that's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to follow the leadership of our pastor. Then... The, 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 the next part of our growth is this, to be committed to growing in Christ. Notice that, that phrase again. Till we all come in the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the fullness of uh, the uh, stature the fullness of Christ. Um, Jesus told a parable in John chapter 7 as he finished that great passage the uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he told he told an illustration actually he told two illustrations. One was about a, a house and the other was about a road. But the house he said there were two men who built houses and one built a house on the sand and the other built a house on the rock. And he described the difference. He said the one that built his house on the sand was one who heard the word but did not obey the word. Now listen to that. He heard the word and did not obey the word. Now let me ask you a question. Could that be a Christian at Maria Baptist Church who comes every week, listens to the message, looks nice, smiles, combs his hair, you know, and yet is not obedient. Now the other guy hears the word, and apparently the same word, he's there in the same place, he hears the word, but he obeys the word. Now, what's going to happen? Storms are going to come. If you look at the passage, both men, or both people, whoever they were, had storms. The rain, the wind started, came, and they came to both, to both houses. Now let me tell you, folks, Storms are part of every life. If you haven't had any yet, just wait. You will. Uh, storms are part of every life. And how your house sustains the house in the storm, how it lasts, it depends on whether or not you have built your house on the foundation of obedience to the word of God. Now, here's the thing. What if you don't know what the word of God says? What if, what if you are caught in a storm? And you know... The, this is so often the way we are. Lord, I haven't bothered you in you know, six months to pray. Now I need you. I'm in a mess. Can you help me? That is not the way life is to be for us. So we need to be willing to be growing and learning ourselves what the Bible says. Ask yourself this question. How do you solve problems? Well, I know. There's a Dr. Smellfungus has written a book, and I read Dr. Smellfungus's book. Well, good luck with Dr. Smellfungus, you know. Or you know, I I listened. It used to be uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey, you know. Give me where, give me advice how to raise my kids. Oh my goodness! I remember one. I, I was my, the classic went to me. I was uh, in Chicago, and I had the, the, the radio one day and listening to one of these talk shows, and it was one of these experts on childbearing. And the mother called in and said. My son, who is six years old, won't eat anything but ice cream. How can I help him to be better, you know, more nutrition? And the guy, the guy said, put some wheat germs on the ice cream. <laughs> really? Is that the answer? Now, what I'm saying is that, here, listen, think about this. How do you solve your problems? Now, either... God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, or he has not. Right? God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you have a problem, do you know where to look? Well, I just call Pastor Todd and ask him. Well, to that degree, you're not ready for the storm. To that degree, you're not what you should be. He says we all come in the unity of the faith. You know, people sit in, in pews every Sunday and have doubt, doubts and questions about doctrine, about truth, about 
you know, things like that. And yet we, the word of God has those answers and we ought to be diligent enough that all of our brothers and sisters, we all, we all agree on the word of God and we agree that this is the truth. This is the way it is. You know, in, in, in uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews is, is a book about turning back. You know, don't turn back. And he says, you know, draw near to God and hold to your faith. In other words, when, when the tempest comes, when the temptation comes, get close to God and hold on to your faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in these last days, perilous times shall come. You remember the passage. And what's the answer? Remember the things you have learned and of whom you have learned them. And remember that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures and all Scriptures give inspiration of God. It goes back to the Word. All these answers, the answers to our issues and our problems is the Word of God. And we can't depend on someone else to feed us the word of God in heavens. We surely shouldn't go outside to unsaved people to try to find the answers to our problems. Uh, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, if you, if you look back up, up there in, in verse number 13, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. Let me, let me give you a, a little homework, if you would like to do it. Um, I remember... I was saved when I was 11. And I, was, of course, grew up as a teenager in the youth department and all that stuff. But I remember the first time, the first time I ever read through the Gospel of John more than just reading through it. I mean, reading through it to really understand what it was saying. Now, I'm not opposed to Bible reading. I think, I think all of us ought to do that. But there, there is a difference in reading the Bible, just reading it, and... <coughs> looking at it and studying it and analyzing it. And at that young age, I can't remember if I was in high school or college. I kind of think I was in high school, but I'm not positive. I really felt like I knew who Jesus was. Now that's, that may sound strange to you. But you know, as I, was reading, as I was reading the passages and I was seeing how he dealt with people and you know, the, his answers to questions, and I was, I was interested in that, how, you know, here was in, in John 3, he's talking to a religious leader. And Jesus answered him a certain way. There was a certain thing that he talked to him about. But the next chapter, the very next chapter, he's talking to a woman who had been married five times, you know, and, and it was, a, was a heathen woman. And he talked to her totally differently. And I thought to myself, wow, I need to learn how to do that. Like, to respond like he did. To see why he did what he did. And to, to follow that, that theme through uh, the John, first John, just the Gospel of John. And, and, you know, one little thing you might do is in the margin of your Bible, if you write in it, and, and I write in mine, you might say, where God is good, put good. When God is great, put great. And, and look, look at the scriptures with the idea of I want to know who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, whenever I, I meet an unsaved person who has, doesn't know the gospel or doesn't really believe the Bible, I challenge them to read the gospel of John. Uh, it is a great, there are eight signs there of who, why he is the Messiah and how we know that. It's a, a powerful book and it really reveals, it reveals who he is. But the second thing that it says in this chapter is we need to have knowledge of him. You know, we have, we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith in him. But we must learn to walk by faith also. Is he our shepherd or not? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. He said in John 10, you need to learn to hear my voice. 
right? And he said, if you learn to hear my voice, the voice of another person you won't hear. You see, do you see how that helps us to focus our life on the right kind of things? To remember, what, to follow him, to listen to his voice, to learn to obey him, learn to see life through his eyes. How do you find direction for the future? That's the way we find direction. You know, uh, I remember there was a day when there was a famous paper that was a Christian paper. It had about eight or nine sermons in it every week called The Sword of the Lord. And many pastors got their leadership from God by reading The Sword of the Lord. My friend, I guess that, that is a way to do it, but, but it's not the right way to do it. Every time we sit or stand, to me, sit, tie, stand, we need to know what God wants said here. We need to know what is what the message is to be. And so we need to understand that we need to find direction from the Lord. From his word, from the counsel of godly friends. You know, his word is like, is like guardrails. It keeps us from running off the cliff. It, it, is, it, it may seem restrictive to you, but it isn't restrictive. It's, it's safe. It's safe. It protects you. So to find direction, how do I find direction? Well, listen, all of us, all of us make, how many decisions do we make every day? Uh, decisions that affect, you know, when, the, the fact of the matter is, we have a little saying in our leadership class, when leaders fail, others fail with them. So, you know, Daddy, when you fail, your family's going to fail too. You make a bad choice, it's going to affect your family. Sometimes for two or three generations. I mean, I can tell you stories. So we need to understand to find our direction. We need to know the word. We need to know that we know the, it is the three things. Unity, knowledge of the Son of God, and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That simply means growing as a Christian. Ask yourself this question. Am I closer to God than I was a year ago? Let me ask it even more personally than that. If I ask my wife, am I closer to God than I was a year ago, what she would say? Or if I ask my children... What would they say? In other words, we should all be growing in our closeness to Christ. We cannot get... By the way, if we're not as close to him as we were six months ago, God hasn't moved. We've moved. And whatever that is, whatever we need to fix, we can confess our sins and he'll put us back into that fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Let, let, let the scriptures speak to us. I, want, I, want to, I think the passage will be up on the, on the screen also. But let me, let me let the scriptures speak to us about this. It says this. Acts 17.11. These are more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Now listen to this. And search the scriptures daily where those things were so. In other words, when they came together... And heard the preaching, they received the word with readiness of mind. That should be everybody's goal. When I come to church, I'm not coming as a, as a critic. I'm not coming to just stay, you know, fulfill my obligation. I'm here to hear the word. They receive the word, but notice this. And they search the scriptures daily. That's where you find out. Is this true? And by the way, a preacher should never be, in, should never be defensive about that. If I'm not preaching the word, I need to know it, right? If I'm saying something wrong, I need to know it. And a few times people told me what I did wrong, but that happens too. Okay. Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I will keep them unto the end. What if you don't know what his statutes are? 
What if you don't really understand what he expects from you? For what, what, is, what is life? What is it? When you're looking at things around, he says, Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I will observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein I delight. Familiar passage. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. It is. And yet, and yet, while that is true, and I think we all on some level believe that, do we believe it in the sense that we trust God to guide our steps every day? All the decisions we make, all the, all the, the value choices, the moral choices, all, do we trust him to guide us? And then to look back and say, as we sang tonight, Jesus led me all the way. If God should let me there review the winding path of earth I knew, it would be proven clear and true, Jesus led me all the way. What a wonderful statement to be able to make when you get older to realize that God has led your pathway from steps to the pathway and God has led you all the way. Psalm 119.30 The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. I'm not going to ask you how many of us are simple. Me and you, a lot of us are. And you know, the, but, but the word, you see, you want to understand how the, word, how the world works? You understand where we are as a nation, what's happened to America's culture? Read Romans 1. You want to find out how the last days are going to be? Read 2 Timothy chapter 3. You want to find out why your children fight? Read, read James chapter 4. Why are, why are wars and fightings among you? God tells us about that. In other words, we need the word of God to give us the perspective on life. But more than that, how to deal with these things and how to walk through them appropriately with the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Four things. For doctrine, it tells us what is right. For reproof, it tells us what is wrong. For correction, it tells us how to fix what's wrong. And righteousness, it tells us how to stay on the right path. Now you look at those four things. And if, if, that, if we had the ability to know the word of God well enough that the word of God could show us in every situation whether something is right or not. The combination of the word of God and the spirit of God that dwells in us that, that, that lets us know that what we're about to do isn't right. He's convicting us. He convinces the world of sin to righteousness and a judgment, the Bible said when Jesus said that. So... What is right? What is wrong? There, there are things that on the surface may seem okay, but in fact, in the, by the word of God, they're wrong. They're not the best choice. They're not the thing we should be doing as a believer. Uh, our love can draw us away from the best things into things that are good and not, not sinful, but there are things that hinder God's best for our life. It tells us what is right, what is wrong. It tells us how to fix it. Boy, this, this one, you know, a pastor, when, you, when a pastor talks to somebody, you got to help people, and that's a wonderful part of our life. We get a chance to do that. But what we have to do is to, first of all, identify the problem in biblical terms. For example, what does the Bible say about agoraphobia? 
You know where to find that? What book? It's it Hezekiah, I think, somewhere. It mentions agoraphobia. No, it doesn't mention agoraphobia. What does it mention? Fear. The Bible talks about fear all the time. It doesn't matter if you're afraid of spiders, or you're afraid to go out of the house, or you're afraid of water. It's still fear, right? And the Bible tells us how to deal with fear. If, you, if you're fearful, then God, there are ways that God tells you to fix that. There is correction. How to fix what we're doing wrong. But, but what, what, you know, what a pastor does is, is first of all, define the, the problem in biblical terms, and then to give a biblical answer. We don't, we don't have the, the wisdom to sort out things apart from what God has said. And so when we, when we talk to someone, we say, this is what God says. And of course, the one that's most difficult to convince people of is the way God says to solve, to solve uh, disputes. You know, the Bible's very clear about what to do, how to do that. And I, I tell you, many times I've said, this is, well, you know, I, I understand this. Now, here's what you've got to do. Well, I know, but, you know, you just don't understand my situation. Well, I don't, but God does. Well, you don't, you don't know this person I'm dealing with. They, they, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. When we do things God's way and he obedient to his word, now listen to me carefully, we have behind us the power of God. Now let me ask you a question. Who can change hearts and lives? Can you do it? No, you can't do that. Only God can do that. So, if God says, do it this way, and I do it that way, I have behind me the power of God. That's an amazing, once you get that concept what I've got to find out is, how, how does God say do it? What does he say to do? If I raise my kids the way God says to raise them, you say, well, you don't know my kids. No, I don't, but God does. And besides that, God's also working in your kid's life if they're saved. And God loves your kids more than you do. So we need to understand that God tells us how to correct what is wrong, what we're doing wrong, what, how wrong we're thinking. How many times does the Bible say, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. You know, uh, to, to think God's thoughts. It doesn't say it that way, but the idea is to learn to think like God thinks. Learn to think, to see things the way he sees them. You know, you, you, can, go to, you can go to popular culture. You can, you can go to popular media and find out how to think, or you can go to the Bible and find out how to think. Uh, my choice is I want to find out what God, how God would look at it, not how the popular culture would look at it. So on the last one is, of course, right, in righteousness, uh, instruction in righteousness, how to stay on the right path, uh, warnings to, about things that, you know, the, the Bible, the, the, the epistles particularly are full of warnings. Uh, I'm studying right now the book of 1 Corinthians. Lord willing, if I get a chance to preach three messages later on, I'm going to do a snapshot in the, the church of Corinth, the first three chapters of Corinthians. But God warns them, Here, here's who you are. Don't do this. And guess what they do? Exactly what God said not to do. And God already told them not to do it. And they do it anyway. It didn't turn out so well. And we need to understand when God says this is the, this is the road to righteousness. He's leading us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We need to understand that, that that's a path we want to walk in. Because when you walk outside that path, there's all kinds of thorns out there. And the next thing... That we henceforth be no more children. Tossed to and fro. And get the picture here. 
carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Wow. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Listen to what it says. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's a characteristic of the last days. They that would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, those kind of things are, are clear in Scripture. That's the way things are going to be. And it, it talks about being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. I, I know people sit in, in, in these pews, probably tonight, and there are Bible doctrines that we preach and we believe and we live by that you absolutely don't believe or you don't, you don't buy into it. At least you don't obey it. You've never committed yourself to saying, if God said it, that's true. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Now, we, we're, we're, we're fallible. We don't always do it perfectly. We, we sometimes fall. But the fact is, to accept the fact. We live in a day when, when truth is my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. My friend, that's not the truth. The truth is the word of God. And so to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, that's the way some people live. I mean, they're this way and that way. They believe this, they believe that. They're not, you know, it's, it's, it, and that is not the way God intends us to be. We need to be stable. We need to be uh, mature. Some people, you, always, you want to see what kind of mood they're in before you talk to them. You know, are they going to fuss at you? Or they, how are they going to be? Kind of learn to, learn to gauge that. Seek maturity. Be honest with yourself. Are you wishy-washy? Are you not consistent? Are you to and fro? I mean, is that, is that your life? You do something and you stop doing it and you try to do something and don't do it and you're just back and forth, back and forth. Listen to the scriptures. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So many times, when I was in Chicago, we had a, a bus ministry there, and I was put in charge of it. And that's hard work. I don't know if you've ever been a, a part of a bus ministry or not, but those guys, bless their hearts, on Saturday would go out and would visit, most of the Saturday visit kids in, the, in a certain area, neighborhood, and invite them to church. And Sunday morning, they'd get there at the, at the bus barn at 7 o'clock. If you ever lived in Chicago, 7 o'clock is not a pleasant time in January and February. And they would get in the bus and they'd go out and pick up all the kids and, you know, and, and they had a runner on the bus and go run out to the doors and bring the kids in. And uh, then they would go after church, they would take the kids all back home. And then about 3 o'clock they got home for Sunday lunch. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happened sometimes is one of the bus workers would come to me and say, you know what? I'm just, I've, I've tried so hard, I've, I've been working, and we just haven't, we aren't seeing anything, I'm just going to quit. Well, look, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, you never know what kind of impact you're having on someone. Uh, some, some uh, you know, uh, Daniel, I've, I've mentioned you before, I'll mention you in a good way again. We don't know what the nursery does for parents. If a, if a parent comes into the nursery and they bring their little child in there and they look around and the people are nice and things are clean and everything is nice, you know, that, that makes a huge impression on a young couple, wouldn't it? And, of course, you know, Dane does such a good job with that, but that's so important. And, and 
just because we don't see that person walk the aisle the first Sunday they're here, God does his work. Our job, our job is to do what God calls us to do. His job is to bring the, the result that he wants us to bring. I wish there were 500 here tonight. But that's nothing I can do about that, you know? Uh, what I can do is when Pastor Todd asks me to preach, I do my best to preach. But you see, we are just to be faithful. When we Next week we're going to look on how God evaluates our life. And I think that's an important ending to this series about how, how God evaluates us. But really, doing what we are called to do. That, that, that little niche, or maybe a big niche, or maybe five niches that we are to fill. If we do it, then God is going to bring the, the right result. However, we are to be steadfast and unmovable. We need to be consistent. We need to be committed. Committed, first of all, to the Lord. And let me stop and say one more thing. God deserves our best. Amen? Whatever we give to the Lord. You know, every time a pianist sits down at the piano, piano keyboard, they ought to be giving God their very best. Every time a soloist stands up to sing or, or someone plays an instrument or someone teaches Sunday school class or someone works in front line or someone takes care of the nursery, we ought to give God our best. That is what he deserved. And you know, when we're evaluated, it's wood, hay, and stubble. That's not sinful. But neither is it a gift fit for a king. Right? And I want to give the very best that I have to God. So when I have an opportunity, I want to do the very best that I can do. Always knowing that your labor is not in vain, Lord. Let's, let, us, let us not be weary in well-doing. I remember Lester Roloff. Some of you know the name. Maybe you've heard him. I did when I was in ministry. Lester Roloff, you said, don't be weary in well-digging because a lot of people are thirsty. He, you know, that scripture doesn't say that, but that was his little interpretation there. But don't be, don't be weary. Don't, don't be weary in well-doing for in due season. What's the rest of it? Yeah. And I, I suspect that there are cases where the harvest is right there and the person quits. You know, just, just ready for God to bring the harvest. You've worked hard. You've you invested your life. You've done the best you can. You get discouraged or downtrodden or whatever it is, and you quit just before God's about to bring a harvest. And by the way, you have to get satisfied with the harvest that God brings. Uh, let me, let me, you've heard, many of you have been around here a while have heard this, but I, I want to quote Andy Bonikowski again. Andy, Andy's a remarkable fellow on many levels. He really is, and an uh, interesting guy to talk to. But one of the first times I ever met Andy, they were meeting in a little room, a little, you know, 15 by 15 room, and had 12 people there for a service. That was his church. He'd been there a long time, I think 15 years or something, and that's all he had. So we were talking afterwards. I mean, I was a pastor, and we were talking about the ministry, and, and he said this. I never, I never forgot it. It made an impact on my life. He said, Pastor Sweat, I may never see the harvest. But he said, God has promised a harvest. So maybe my sons will see the harvest. And I thought, wow. Amen. That's a biblical way to look at it. You know, Amen. whether or not I see the harvest. Now, he thought maybe his son, by the way, two of his boys are there working now in Spain along with him. And, and by the way, he, I talked to Andy today. And he said, Pastor, we had, the service this morning was phenomenal. We have, 
by the way, he's training men. He said, I had four men who are just hungry to learn. I'm, I'm teaching them. And he said, we got people, new visitors coming, people being saved. And, and, and he, got a, he got a house full. I mean, his, if you see pictures he sends out, if you don't get those, you ought to, and see what's happening. But God sent the harvest to him. And now his sons get to enjoy the harvest alongside of him. What a wonderful thing to happen. So don't be weary and well-doing. In due season we shall reap, we faint not. Hebrews 12, 3 says, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Consider Christ, what he endured, the path that he chose to take. And it was a path that he chose himself. Now, God has chosen a path for us, which we are to follow and find out what it is and follow it. But when we begin to think, you know what, I'm just going to move on. Did you, did you know the average pastor stays in a church three years? That's the, the average for a pastor in a church is a pastor. Three years. Now, here's another, here's another figure you probably don't know. This is, this is preacher talk. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying that says a person becomes a real pastor after five years. In other words, you're, you're, you know that people know you. They learn to trust you. They learn your ways. They're, you know, they're in their folk that know who you are. So a pastor at five years, the greatest ministry is after that. My, my son-in-law, Rob Strout, went up to Wisconsin to a, a small church outside of, uh, well, Watertown. And it's in Lake Mills. And, and he's there. This is his fifth year. And suddenly he is seeing growth and the church is changing and things are moving forward. Five years. Now, if that's true, and I'm sure it's not true in every single case, but it is, it is kind of a rule of thumb that, that kind of, you know, we buy into so, a pastor comes to a church, things are going okay, and he finds a little resistance, and his things aren't going like he wants to, so he moves. After three years, what just happened? He missed the, he missed the whole point. He missed the five, you see what I'm saying? So, when you think of quitting, when you think of nobody appreciates what I'm doing, remember, we serve the Lord Christ. That's what we do. Whatever, whatever it is that our, our place is, we're not serving because men will think we're wonderful. Tom Farrell used to say, and I've adopted it as, as a motto in my mind when I preach, is I've got one person to please. Nothing to prove, one person to please. And if I, if I have pleased God, then I've done all I need to do. That's what I need. Then God will do with that. God will do with my, my work whatever he pleases to do because he is the Lord of the harvest. And then he says in this passage, But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Learn to be gentle, kind, and forgiving. The, the church is a wonderful thing that Jesus himself invented, ordained. There's so many, there's so many benefits of a church. Uh, we went through, all of us did, COVID and other things. And, you know, we were out of church for a while, some longer than others. And, you know, you, you, you listen to the sermon, you listen to the message. I was telling my, my leadership class, I was listening to three every Sunday. My son Jeremy preached at 9 o'clock, and uh, Breen was at 10 o'clock, and uh, Rob Stroud preached at 11 o'clock, and I'd listen to all three sermons every morning. So I was getting three sermons every Sunday morning. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. 
And I remember the first Sunday I came back into this building after being out for a long time. It was just, it was something I'd never experienced before. And it was just, it was overwhelming to me. I just, I was just overwhelmed at that. And now every Sunday we look forward to coming into this room. Not that this is, you know, the temple, but it's filled with God's people and it's filled with people we love. And it's filled with, with people who are talking with each other and, and are concerned about each other. But one of the things the church is for is to teach us how to get along with others. Did you know some, some of you are ornery? Notice how I said that. Some of you would actually aggravate people and make people upset. Shame on you. But you know, Christian people should get along, right? We should love each other. We should be forgiving. We should be kind. We should overlook things. Forgiving means when someone says something out of the way to me, which they didn't probably mean, but they said it anyway, I have to forgive them for that. I have to let God take care of that. Uh, we need to learn to work together. And that, and what it says, you know, uh, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. To speak the truth, yes, always. I've had people. I've had people who were uh, brash, who were who did not guard their tongues very well, and and they would say, "Well, that's just me. I just tell it like it is." Well, sometimes that's the best way to do it, right? To learn to speak the truth in love. You know, <coughs> learning learning how to be kind and learning how to be gracious. Hey, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If you can't, if you're always being upset, if your feelings are always being hurt, if you're always, you know, or if you're always upsetting others, don't say it just the way I am. Learn to grow. Learn to, to cur curb yourself and learn to act in a way that is biblical. Learn to be kind. Learn to forgive others. And then, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. The church is not this building. The church is us. And this church will be what God wants it to be to the degree that all of us do our part that God has led us to do, that place that God has led us to do. Now, let me, let me one word of caution. I need to do this. Don't overload yourself. Now, I just said get busy. But it is possible that... The, there's an old saw that says, you know, 90% of the work in the church is done by 10% of the people. Here's the problem with that. That 10% of the people are worn out. And that never should be that way. It should never be that way. It should be that there any, any job that's done, there's three people lined up to do it. 
So you need to guard your, you understand yourself. I mean, you know, if you've got children at home, you've got a job, you've got a wife, you've got a husband, all this stuff, you've got to be careful. And, and, but, 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 that is not an excuse not to do anything. As far as I can see, in this passage, there are no exceptions. Every part is pretty clear. So it's everybody is supposed to be serving. Now, God leads you, and God will help you, and God will strengthen you, and God will help you to, to sustain your ministry and bring the result that he wants to bring as you are faithful. God is a wonderful God. He deserves our very best. Before I loved him, he loved me. Before I sought him, he sought me. And praise God, he gave me a job to do. And I'm thrilled to do it. And I'm thrilled that God still allows me to do it. I mean, hey, I don't even talk about that, but you know what I'm saying. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, you do deserve our very best. I thank you, Lord, for each person in this room. You know I love them, and I pray that you would stir hearts tonight, that some who have sat on the sidelines and never had a place would start to look and search for the place where you want them to serve and perhaps to serve in more places. I don't know what you have for their life, but you know. And, Lord, we trust you to bring about the results that you want to bring about. We thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege I have of preaching. Thank you for the folk who have listened carefully to what I've said. Lord, have your will in our hearts today, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Super Bowl hasn't started for four more minutes.